Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. The Bucks win 118-108 in Charlotte. I'm Eric Name. Joining me is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I'm good, and you know, basketball is so much more fun when, when your team is the one that just makes all the shots. Um, we, we saw the Bucks be on the business end of that on Sunday against the Bulls, <laughs> and uh, tonight the, the basketball gods were smiling on the Milwaukee Bucks, and... Um, they got a really, really big road win against the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I really think that's probably the easiest way to to describe this one was that what you saw against the Bulls was essentially what the Bucks did to the Hornets tonight. Uh, ending the game, shooting 62% from the field, 46.7% from three. Um, they scored 72 in the first half and then pretty much just coasted the rest of the way and uh the hornets were able to cut it down to uh, i think a, i mean it ended at 10 but i think before that 11 nine, nine maybe yeah um, nine at one point like in the last like minute or something like that yeah 11 when it actually could have been a game i guess is the way i would probably describe that like the nine and the ten probably aren't the most indicative of this game and uh, there was the one sequence where it got to 11 tony snell comes in tries to dunk on the world with two hands, uh, has his dunk bounce in, and then a play later hits corner three, back up to 14, and uh, that was that was pretty much curtains. And <laughs> that, that was about it. Um, I, I guess the first thing that sticks out in this game is Tony Snell. Uh, he leads the Bucks in scoring. I would be very curious to know if that's the first time he's led the Bucks in scoring this season um, or if it's happened before. I think it might have happened once or twice on a hot shooting night, but uh, it's a rarity. And he, he was 10 of 14 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3, uh, 2 of 2 from the line. And uh, I guess Tony Snell hot shooting nights aren't super rare. Those things happen. Like there's been nights where he'll hit 50% of his threes, but dunk on everyone in sight tony snell is a rarity um that is that is not a guy we have seen this season and that that was tony snell the bucks first basket tonight came on the hornets running tony snell out of the right hand corner and him taking one dribble jumping from outside the lane and throwing it down with one hand and i if that is Tony Snell, I'm very interested in that Tony Snell and the money that the Bucks might pay for him this offseason might be well worth it. I don't know if that is Tony Snell, if that is something we're going to see more regularly, but he had that one. He had another one-handed dunk from the top of the key where, again, Hornets run him off the lane or run him off the off the three-point line. He takes a little pump fake, dribble into the middle, throws it down with one hand, kind of in traffic. And then the other one uh, in the fourth quarter that I mentioned where he tries to go up with two hands and throw it down. That, that version of Tony Snell is 
unbelievably valuable. Not that the other v- version of Tony Snell isn't valuable, but if he's scoring, if he's able to attack the rim, like that is the full embodiment of a three and D guy, um, and that that would be ideal. But I, I don't know what what did you think of his performance tonight? Well, I mean, he he tonight he was a three and two and D guy. Uh, he was six of six inside the arc, which. Um, you know, inside the arc has, has been an area where historically Tony came into the season having struggled and a guy who, you know, basically could knock down an own three, but pretty much that was, that was about it. And I think what's, what's so been so impressive about, um, Tony this year is that he's, he's doing everything, you know, he's, he's been able to score from other parts of the court. I mean, he came into this game shooting 56% on twos and granted he only he takes 2.3 twos per game. So <laughs> he's not trying to do that too often. Um, but the only guys you know, guys who've played all year for the Bucks who are in that vicinity are Beasley at 55.8% and Giannis at 56.8%. So, again, you know, it's not like Tony is creating off the dribble and taking difficult shots inside the arc, but um, the fact that he's become a reliable finisher who can, you know, again, get to the bucket off of cuts. I mean, we saw the Bucks, a bunch of guys got, got free on cuts today, whether it was Giannis, Brogdon usually is good for a cut here and there. Um, you know, they, they did some nice stuff with split cuts, um, getting cutters. Uh, Greg Monroe had a couple of passes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Tony Snell, when he's perfect from two, and he hits four of eight from three, um, that, that's not your, you know, run-of-the-mill Tony Snell. But, you know, again, granted, he doesn't really have to be that guy every night. And shooting 40% from three on the season coming into the game, um, you know, again, just the, the career year of Tony Snell continues. And um, I, I guess... I don't, I don't know if I'm surprised tonight to see it because this is kind of who Tony Snell has been this year. Not every night, but we've seen flashes of it. And, you know, the real question for the Bucks is, okay, he's a restricted free agent. Is this the Tony Snell you're going to get over the next three to four years when, you know, you're potentially adding him to a big new deal? And that's obviously the interesting part. But I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty heading into the summer. That's sort of terrifying, isn't it? Like, it isn't, isn't that idea just a little bit on the terrifying side um paying for a three and d guys breakout season and and again it could very well be he just needed a new place and once he got to that new place and he got to a team that gave him the confidence that he needed and he started to figure out kind of his role and he felt comfortable in that role and he got along with a guy like Giannis and Giannis is able to find him in spots that he likes like all of these things could fall in place but Man, only having a, a one season sample size and then handing out quite a bit of money. And at this point, I mean, the progression of this season has been staggering for his contract. I guess when we first. Tony Snell gets traded, and then the report comes from uh, Brian Windhorst, and it was something that we had both been hearing as well that the Bucks were thinking about contract extension for Tony Snell um, to try to get that in before the was it October thirty first deadline, and both of us kind of batted around and said, okay. He's not great, but, you know, wings get paid in the NBA. Like, he he has some things that could be okay. And I I think we talked about maybe being willing to go as high as 3 for 18 or 4 for 24, something in the $6 million range. And then I think after the first month or two where he was kind of filling that role as a minutes eater and hitting threes, all of a sudden it was like, okay, I think we could probably go up to 8. Um, in <laughs> about a month ago, I think we had the conversation and okay, yeah, we, we could do 10. Um, and now you're at the point where 
is it 12 per year? Is it more than 12 per year? Like, where, where do you think his market has, has gone now? I mean, I hate to use the word market because, you know, again, we've talked about this before. Market implies that there's like a liquid market for every player and, you know, that, that the market will find that, that equilibrium. And the bottom line is that there just aren't enough teams and players to really kind of, you know, have a number. And um, I, I think with Tony, you know, he's a guy that, if I'm the Bucks, you know, I I I wouldn't hesitate at this point to say, hey, here's you know four years, nine million a year, something like that. And if you want to go out and find you know a monster deal, maybe he can find that, right? But he's not going to be the guy. I don't think he's going to be a guy signing on on July 1st, you know, or, or getting a deal announced that he's going to get an offer sheet on July 1st. Um, you know, I think he's more of an opportunistic type guy that gets targeted, you especially so? as a restricted you don't agent. Th- you don't think the Nets, with as much money as they have, and with as much as Marks coming in from San Antonio would... I mean, San Antonio's had fantastic 3 and D guys pretty much forever. You don't think he would be be willing to throw some money his way, maybe something crazy? On the first day of free agency, when he's a restricted free agent? I mean, they have Karis LeVert, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Sean Kilpatrick. I mean, is, is Tony Snell the first guy they look at? I mean, I'm not saying that you won't eventually get there, um, but uh, I mean that would be that would be big. I mean, it, it's going to be. It's always you know these things are always sort of eye of the beholder type situations, um, and sometimes guys you know get a quick deal, and sometimes guys you know have to wait a long time, and especially as first stricter for agents, sometimes it's sort of difficult to to guess you know who's going to get paid and who's going to not get paid. Now he could be attractive in the sense that. Um, you know, there's a chance, obviously, that if you throw a huge number at him, if you send him, I don't know, twelve, thirteen million a year, like maybe the Bucks say, like, geez, that's just that's just too much given kind of our the rest of our cap sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so may, he might, you know, he might be uh, attractive in the sense that he could be attainable in a way that you know other guys aren't. And obviously, with Brooklyn, you know, they're the obvious team you look at because of what they did with Tyler Johnson and Alan Crabb last summer, both of whom were were restricted free agents and. You know, they forced uh, the Nets and, and Heat to, to match really big deals. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the Crab deal is probably not one that, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Blazers probably feel great about right now. Um, I think Tyler Johnson's really underrated. Um, I think the Heat probably feel pretty good about that one. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately it's, it's a supply and demand game. And there is not going to be as much cap space this summer as there was last summer. And... You know, I think it ultimately just comes down to to what kind of players you want to go after. And um, as you said, I mean, if if nobody knew anything about Tony Snell before this year, um, you know, I don't think uh, I think he probably would be a guy that a lot of people would consider really underrated. But um, you know, you look at some of the other guards that are out there. I mean, Contavious Caldwell Pope is a restricted free agent. JJ Reddick's unrestricted. Um, you know, they're they're different guys, sort of in those in those wingman spots that you know are they might be attractive targets. You know, I, I could see the a team like the Nets trying to lure KCP with um, a bigger offer uh, than trying to just go after a guy like um, like Tony, for instance. Yeah, and that's true. You know, you've got you've got other guys. I mean, Otto Porter's restricted. Um, you know, lots of unrestricted guys. I mean, PJ Tucker's unrestricted. Boyan Bogdanovich is restricted. He's obviously they know what he can do. Um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll kind of see. I mean, Shabazz Muhammad's restricted. I mean, they're kind of like all these different like random guys. And, you know, I mean, for the Bucks, I would take Tony Snell at his deal over a, a lot of them, um, just because I think from a value perspective, the Bucks, you know, 
don't necessarily have the room to really go for a big guy anyway or, or add that to their cap sheet. But, um, but I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, let's stop talking about Tony Snell. We'll, we'll, we'll cover more of that later. Um, I, I think the funniest part was I didn't even notice this until I was looking at the, the box score. I was kind of watching um, the game, not really following along in the box score. And, I mean, if you, have, if you were told before the game that, uh, let's see, what, what did, what did the, the Hornets end up with? Like two turnovers all game, something like that? I mean, if you had heard that the Hornets were going to end up with with two turnovers, um, what what were your what were your odds have been that the Bucks were going to win that game? Not great, I would say. <laughs> no, <laughs> it would be terrible. Uh, like they they just wouldn't it would not seem at all likely. Um, but then I, I guess I would also look at the box score and see the three point that from three the Hornets shot twenty five percent, seven of twenty eight, and the Bucks shot fourteen of thirty and. Then I would have thought, oh, you know what? Maybe they have a chance. Um, but yeah, it, it was just kind of a, a strange game. The the Hornets I, didn't really seem to have any flow, even though they weren't turning the ball over. If that makes any sense, um, and it it just seemed like at no point did they have the confidence that they needed. And uh, I just kept waiting for the Kemba Walker barrage of threes to come because the Bucks weren't doing a very good job covering it. They, they were going under some screens and giving him some pretty easy, I thought, open looks from three, and he, he wasn't hitting those. And I was just waiting for it all to go south, um, and, it, and it never happened. Um, so... It's just a strange, strange game looking at the box score that, that the Bucks win a game 118-108. Like you said, two turnovers. Um, I think, what, three block shots, so not much there. The Bucks don't get much from Middleton. He has another uh, pretty crummy night, 0 for 5 from 3, with some open looks in those threes. Uh, 4 of 12 from the field overall. Um, he has just 14 points. Giannis has just 20 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 assists. Again, um, we always talk about how we say things like, he just had this, and it's still a pretty nice night, but just 20 points and 8 rebounds for him. He's only a plus 1 on the night, um, and somehow this game was never close. And it's just kind of... It's kind of strange to think about this team now winning some games because of the others. Like, like this was a game won by the others on the roster. Tony Snell has a huge game. Malcolm Brogdon, 14 points, 10 assists. Um, Greg Monroe, off the bench, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. The... The, con- the contributions they're getting from other guys, just that that was what won them the game. It wasn't the stars. And uh, I think any any game that you can win without your stars having a big game is just is extra. <laughs> that If you can get that, that is a convenience that is pretty rare on, on an NBA on an NBA team as top-heavy as the Bucks, So uh, for them to sneak out of Charlotte in the first game of this back-to-back with a win without Giannis playing particularly well and without Chris playing particularly well, that's that's a big one. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, the, the mean reversion of Chris Middleton, uh, I, I think at this point we've gone from he's due to, to get worse um, and, and now almost like, oh, okay, Chris, now you can start being, being good again. Um, he, uh, he goes 0 for 5 from 3 tonight for... 4 out of 12 overall. Um, I mean, he still came into the game shooting 44% from three. 
So I suppose uh, he he's still well north of his career numbers from from three. But but as you said, I mean, Chris has played pretty poorly two of the, you know basically the last three games. Um, you know, especially when you think from from sort of an offensive and, and shooting efficiency perspective. And um, you know, they win in against Atlanta when he goes one of thirteen. They win tonight when he goes four of twelve. Um, you know, for all the the narrative and, and justifiably so about the Bucks and and everything that he's meant to them and, and the part he played in in them being very good since since he's come back um it's also kind of encouraging to say oh actually you know you're not just again as you said you're not just uh relying on on Giannis and Chris and and as those guys go the entire team goes which you know would seem to be kind of probably the obvious thing you would assume but as you said tonight uh the Bucks depth uh, helping them I mean Brogdon six out of seven from the field um he was great um Delavadova had some struggles, but he did hit two out of four from three at least. A floater danced around the rim and went in. That's the kind of night it was for Delhi. Yep. Um, by the way, I I would love to know if um I, I'd love to know what Delhi's shooting percentage on is and how it compares to like you know the rest of the league, rest of the league like point guards and. Because I feel like I, John McLaughlin the other night was was saying something about like how Del like Delhi hit a floater and he was saying something about how like Delhi's really good at floaters and you know that, how it's a really difficult shot and and I was kind of sitting there thinking like most Bucks fans like recoil in horror when Delhi tries his floater because I, I mean I don't know maybe he is like okay at it compared to the rest of the league but it's it's like such a difficult shot that it's like just very unsatisfying end to a possession and um i'm not saying that that you know everybody every point guard is way better at floaters but i guess it's just because we know delhi can't get to the rim to save his life in half court so it's always sort of like a settling shot um but uh but tonight one did go down and I feel like of all the people um, who made dig dig a stat up for me on this, I'm I'm expecting uh, all the bucks from Twitter to maybe go find this <laughs> piece of information for me because uh, he's always digging up interesting stats. But I actually uh, don't. Um, I don't doubt that he's good at floaters. I really don't. You don't. You don't doubt that he's. You you you're saying he's he you think he's good at floaters. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure he he's like I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was you know above average in terms of converting them. It's just. That's like the only way for him to get a shot, Correct. you know, inside of eighteen feet, which is just a generally unsatisfying. Yeah, way I would, I would say, head. I would say his volume on floaters is much higher than most. Like I, I don't, I don't even know who else would be in the in the same area code for league leading uh, like floaters per game, whatever it be. Like, wouldn't you think like his floaters per thirty six is the highest in the in the league like watching nba basketball every night like i don't see a lot of a lot of dudes putting up floaters that much and it, i don't know if a game goes by where you i mean most games you've seen at least at least one if not two or three floaters from delhi so uh, i would assume that he, he probably does shoot it at a high percent uh, a relatively high percentage like relative to other people like i bet you he's probably Man, I don't even know. Top quarter of the league in in floater like shot percentage, and I'm sure he's in like the top ten percent in floater volume. So like it's it just because like you see it so often, you're like, oh man, this is not. Why did I have to watch this possession end like this? But I bet you he's probably pretty good at him. Yeah, he well, he's in general sort of the anti Snell this year in terms of we talked about Tony Snell being terrific inside the arc on low volumes. Delhi. 
Delgado shoots more more twos um, per game. I mean, he's four point two twos per game, but he only shoots forty point three percent, which is um, looks like the worst on the team. <laughs> um, which is ju- it's even worse than Rashad Vaughn, who's at forty point seven percent. So, but most that, of them are probably floaters. So he shoots like forty exactly. percent on floaters. Forty <laughs> percent on floaters. <laughs> Who else is doing that? And uh, yeah, I think he's like one out of two on layups this year. So, <laughs> um, so, so that kind of explains it. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, otherwise, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Kid brought Giannis back in early in the fourth to sort of probably to kind of try to lock it up. Um, but you know, as we've been saying for the last few months, uh, for some reason the Bucks really, Bucks are actually better without Giannis on the court through some bizarre. I don't. I mean, again, it's a bizarre phenomenon. They've been a plus team without Giannis on the court for like months now, and they've yeah. been only it's actually slightly worse without him uh, or with him, um, which is just strange. And and I, I mean, I wouldn't really put any stock in it, but um, seems Giannis, awfully noisy. I'll, I'll yeah, say that. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, his his real plus minus is still almost plus five when you know I think he was like fifteenth in the league last time I checked. So, so uh, I mean, yeah, the, when you control for sort of all the variables that can affect like something like that it still tells you that you know yes the bucks are way better with Giannis on the court um but it, it is kind of one of those interesting in case things. you need a clarification they yeah. are much better with Giannis on the floor yeah but um but again tonight you know Giannis by far the worst of the starters in terms of plus minus and um you know tonight it kind of worked out in the sense that um they were up sort of like high teens I think when he came back and you know, again, you're kind of probably thinking like, oh, okay, he'll like they can kind of hopefully put this game away, and then he gets some rest ahead of the game in Boston tomorrow. And instead, the lead narrows, and you kind of get, you know, if if anybody, if Kid had pulled Giannis when they're like, you know, up 11 with, well, I don't know what it was like, four or five minutes to go or something. I mean, we would all would have like, you know, killed him and been like, what are you doing? Like, you're giving up the game. But um, so anyway, it was just, you know, I was gonna say some other things with that. Uh... Tonight, instead of playing the whole first quarter, he plays the first 10 minutes, gets taken out at the two-minute mark in the first quarter, um, and then comes back at the eight-minute mark in the second quarter instead of the the six-minute mark. So essentially, all of that just like bumped up two minutes. Like it, He played the same amount of time in the first half, if this makes sense, but instead of playing the whole first quarter, he got two minutes, and then the quarter break, and then four minutes rather than playing the whole first quarter. Uh, the quarter break in six minutes so um, that that was a little bit of a change and like you said he came in earlier in the fourth quarter um, than he has in the last couple weeks so um, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't throw that adjustment out of bed um, I, I I wouldn't mind seeing that one continue with Giannis and uh, kind of his minutes and how that all works uh, so that was exciting um, one thing I wanted to talk about I mentioned it a little bit on Twitter um, what have you thought in the fourth quarter? I, I think this is kind of it, it makes logical sense to me, and I, I'm just curious what you have thought of it. Um, it. In the fourth quarter, we've seen the Bucks have Middleton bring the ball up the floor quite a bit, um, and sometimes it'll just be to clear out a side and have him post up on the left wing. Uh, but most of the time, what happens is he'll bring it up, and then Giannis will be on one of the elbows, and. Uh, I, I think I really like that setup, and, and I know that might kind of run contrary to what people may want, because obviously I think people would like to see Giannis have the ball in his hands a lot, and uh, kind of do things as a point guard, and bring the ball up the floor, but to me, that like that kind of maximizes their strengths, just because Giannis is so deadly from the elbow, 
that to me it makes a ton of sense to have Middleton bring the ball up. And then since Middleton is such a good shooter and so dangerous, defenders actually have to come out to him. And then that makes that pass to the elbow a lot easier. Like, you know, sometimes when Delhi's throwing it, since teams don't actually respect him from three, that pass to the elbow can be kind of difficult. And it'll bring Giannis a ways off the elbow and it'll and the whole flow and rhythm of the play will get messed up. But with Middleton, he's so long. He's such a he's such a threat from three to shoot it that defenses need to cover him, and then that pass becomes easier. And then since Middleton can kind of spread the spread the floor to one of the wings or even stay above the break there, that then Giannis has some room to work there with with a Monroe pick and roll, or e- even they can enter to Monroe and Giannis can cut off that. And I think it makes a, a lot of logical sense to me, but I was just curious what you thought and if you were seeing that that's kind of been their tendency. Because I, I think that's been their tendency, but sometimes I just want to see things. Um, and, and maybe those things don't add up or kind of look the same to other people. So so what have you thought about them in the fourth quarter with Middleton at point and Giannis on an elbow? Yeah, I mean, I like getting Giannis. Uh, I mean, the advantage of the elbow is, you know, again, and pick and roll, if teams sort of like aggressively hedge Giannis, like it just feels like it's too easy to kind of blow up a Giannis kind of high pick and roll action. Um, and so I, I do kind of like, I mean, I think they've had some success more coming from the left side. They have like a, um, a screen action against um, usually with the point guard setting a screen where they try to kind of get him going downhill sort of from the left side. And mm-hmm. if they switch, then you get a, you know, you get a switch. And if yeah. the guy, you know, they try to kind of, you know, not switch it, then Giannis can sometimes get going downhill towards the rim. But, um, but I think, you know, playing Giannis on the elbows, I, I do tend to like it just because again, he's going to tend to collapse the defense. If he can get, especially if he's got, um, you know, if you can get kind of an edge against a guy and maybe like work him down closer to the basket, he so often will be able to get um, a double team. And then um, again, if Giannis has the ball and there's a double, that means that Chris Middleton is off the ball and he's probably, you know, spotting up for three. And I'd much rather have Chris spotting up for three uh, and, and the rest of the Bucks spreading around Giannis versus, you know, Middleton posting up. And as much as he's been good on post-ups this year in terms of efficiency, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, it just feels... It's just the wrong way to it, use your chess pieces. Like, yeah, the, you just, have that chess piece that can actually space the floor. Why put him in the post? Right. I mean, and, and I get that he's good at, you know, especially if he gets a switch or, you know, if he's... He hasn't been playing shooting guard much, but, um, you know, last year in particular, if he had smaller shooting guards on him, you know, he, 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 as you said, he has a disdain for smaller guards trying to defend him in, in the, in the post. But, um, but I think Giannis is much more the guy to, to kind of try to put in those high post slash low post type situations. And, um, and I, I have to say, I was really pleased to see Giannis with it, had a couple of really nice moves in the post, um, there are two things like two shots I mean other than like three pointers or whatever but like two shots that I, I'm always really happy when I see Giannis uh, attempt them and obviously make them and that's um, those little like push shots like little hook shots baby hook shots um, which if he the, develops good God right I mean and he took one he took one against the Bulls where he took a pick and roll um, Rolo kind of dropped a little bit which normally isn't what happens but if you can run a pick and roll with a, with a, a center that doesn't want to come out and, and hedge or, or switch or anything like that or, or you know, come out and, and really kind of aggressively try to pressure the ball. Um, you know, he kind of just then went in and, and then just got to his right hand and dropped in like a 10-foot hook shot on Sunday. And that shot I love. And then tonight, he had a couple of really nice drop steps, one of them on Batum, 
uh, in the first half, and then another one where he really worked Michael Kidd Gil- Gilchrist, who you know is not a, a, a weak guy, not a guy mm-hmm. that you look at and say like, oh, he's going to be easy to back down. But he kind of like you know he was on the left block. He kind of rope a doped him into the middle and then set him up and felt him kind of you know shading, hedging that way, and then was able to kind of go back over his right to his right side and spin baseline and, and get a layup uh, that way, which was just a really nice move. And again, he's so long that it's just like, you know, it's so hard to defend him, even if he's not, you know, again, he's not like going to put his backside into you and, you know, just use his brute strength. But um, he's either going to be just straight up bigger overall if there's a switch or he's going to be way longer probably than whoever's guarding him. So it's it's just such a nice weapon if he can do that because, again, we're, we're trying to, you know, it's not always the most efficient way to get a guy shots through the post, but, you know, you want to get your stars involved. You know that he has gravity. Teams don't want to just give him open looks. And, you know, again, the, you can't always have just dunks. I think that might be selling his strengths short. I think that that to me is the biggest difference between Giannis last year and Giannis this year. That I I tweeted it out during the game, but I had said I distinctly remember one of the first games of the year last season, sitting next to our good friend Jeremy Schmidt, uh, former formerly Mister Basketball, um, and talking to him. And I th- I'm trying to think which game it was. It might have been Wizards at the start of the season, and. Giannis had, I don't even know, Gary Temple or someone, and just like tried to lay it in from three feet. And when he when he tried to lay it in, like his elbow was above the rim. And, and I just looked at Jeremy and I asked, like, why on earth is he not dunking it? Like, like, like his <laughs> elbow is above the rim and he just tried to lay it in from three feet. Like, that means he can physically dunk it. Like no matter the, the physics tell me that should have been and could have been a dunk. And and this season there there is no pushing Giannis away from the rim. There there is no kind of stopping it. Like if he gets a ball within three feet, he is going to be patient enough and strong enough and have. I guess it's probably a little bit of core strength, a little bit in the hips and, and legs, but he's able now to have the ball right by the rim and kind of just bounce off of guys, pivot the right way, just take whatever shot the defense is giving him and then just throw it on him. And like, like it, it's just huge. If, if those shots now become essentially 100% makes, uh, that just makes his his game so much more difficult, and um, uh, to me, th- that's just the thing that I go back to. And, and I know we spent a whole podcast last night talking about all of the accomplishments he should have, and we, we've given him more than enough praise. But to me, that just stands out every single night that now he's strong enough and confident enough, and ha- has good enough balance and whatever other skills you may say. That if he gets the ball within three feet, he's dunking the basketball now. And for someone that also possesses guard skills, that it's just totally invaluable. And man, it just makes him such a tough cover night in and night out. So why don't we wrap this one up? Uh, impressive game, obviously for the for the Bucks over the Hornets. Um, Ooh, you know, they don't I win. got one more. I got one. You got more. one more. Okay. Um, uh, sorry. I know we should work on making these shorter so people don't have to listen to us drone on and on, but. Thon, exciting Thon stuff tonight. Four assists. Four assists. Uh, <laughs> he had he had thirteen assists previously, 
on the season. So um, that that's going to help his uh, per 36 and per game numbers uh, with four of them tonight. I, I thought that was great. And uh, obviously you don't like to see the four fouls, but the way that he was attacking both blocks and dunks was, I think, another step forward. And uh, I know I've talked about this before, but those are the things that excite that excite me now and we've seen his three-point shooting dry up a little bit and we've seen him maybe not take as many threes or really be out there to take as many threes but in the last I don't know what it is two or three weeks we've seen him actively catch on pick and rolls on a rim run and try to dunk on people like to start that game when when you try to throw that one down with two hands he gets the line but in my mind I was thinking that is what is terrifying to the rest of the league that if you have this seven footer that can shoot the three and then when he does decide to rim run he can actually use that what is it 37 inch vertical that we we heard he had during the combine um 36 if, if he can actually start to show that off and use it functionally then all of a sudden you have a, a terrifying basketball player and uh, i thought that was great and i Again, he almost got dunked on, but to go up and try to block that MKG drive with with two hands from the backside, and MKG tried to dunk on him, and he ended up going to the free throw line, but Thon turned him away and was willing to go up and challenge it and try to use... I mean, that isn't trying to sneak behind him and try to just, like, bring it off the backboard or uh, just get a chase down or something like that. Like, that was physically going up and challenging him at the rim and saying, this is my rim, you're you're not going to do this. And again, four fouls in 12 minutes, not ideal. Um, but all those things, to me, are are the most exciting things about Thon, when you see those small things, more so than, than him hitting a three or um, I don't even know what what else people could get excited about with Thon. But, but those two those two things kind of stood out to me tonight. Yeah, it'll be a shame. I mean, he's been brutal from three for, for a few weeks now. He's under 40%. I mean, you know, granted, if we heard he was going to be high 30s for the season, we all would have been thrilled. But... Um, but I think the uh, the it'll be interesting to see what what the real maker is in terms of his three point shooting next year. Um, but as you said, I mean, I thought Friday against Dwight Howard. I mean, he didn't really back down at all from Dwight Howard, and and that's I think why you start him, right? It's because you know, again, he may not be finishing games, he may not be playing a ton of minutes, but you throw a guy out who was playing against high schoolers last year, and he starts to believe that he can defend Dwight Howard um, when he's you know, skinny and needs to get stronger and all that other stuff. He had a block early on Dwight, you know, didn't back down from him. And that that's really valuable, I think, for Thon and his development. And, and you know, again, regardless of how many minutes he's playing right now, I think he's, you know, getting the, the, the training wheels are probably still on. But, the, you know, again, we're getting closer to to those coming off, and, um, and that's a positive. Um, looking at the playoff probabilities, the Bucks bump up back up to 42 and 40 projected record on 538 their playoff probability has leapt to 97 percent that's the highest i can recall it at any point this season i, I think it was um, 90, pacers i think it was 96 on sunday before the bulls game so uh, i mean but yeah. it 97 yeah i think that's the highest i've seen it as well yeah um and and part because of other results the pacers lose by one at home to the wolves that's obviously a big loss for the pacers uh they are now projected at 41 and 41 uh the Hawks barely get by uh, the Suns at home, finally snapping their long losing streak. 
Um, they have not been convincing, even though, yes, the Bucks barely beat them as well. Um, so they move back up into a tie with the Bucks, um, but have the tiebreaker. So Bucks still slotted in at the sixth spot. They are a full game up on the Pacers, who are 37-37. The Heat got a game-winning tip in tonight from Whiteside in Detroit. So the good news is the Pistons drop further down in the playoffs. 34 and 41, two and a half out of the Heat's eighth spot. Um, Bulls uh, a game back of the Heat in nine. Uh, they're at 35 and 39. So, um, so yeah, and obviously did, did giving the Hornets yet another loss. They're now 33 and 41. So that, that really deals them a blow. So, um, so definitely interesting to see right now. The um, the Hawks are actually projected at 41 and 41. The Pacers 41 and 41. The Bulls 40 and 42. The Heat 40 and 42. So. I guess by process of elimination, what I'm looking at here is suggesting that 538 would currently project the Bucks to finish fifth in the East, um, which still feels like a, such a bizarre thing to say. Uh, I, if a month ago you would have told me that the Bucks were going to be slotted in at, at <laughs> projected to be fifth in the East, I would have like just walked out of the room and told you to quit wasting my time. Um, <laughs> but uh, but here we are. So anyway, uh, interesting stuff. We'll see how we feel tomorrow night uh, in Boston. Uh, again, Celtics, uh, I guess they're now first in the East, right? Um, with, with the Cavs continuing to stink uh, relatively. Uh, so that will be obviously a very difficult game. Um, but so important. That's that's why it's so important to get a win like tonight, just because you bank that first uh, game on the road trip. And um, now, you know, you, you, don't, you don't stare at the possibility of, um, you know, dropping you know even more ground tomorrow if you had lost tonight. So, um, and by the way, five thirty eight has the has the uh, Celtics as an eighty percent favorite in Boston tomorrow. Um, but they also had Charlotte as a sixty one percent favorite tonight. So, um, yeah, take that five thirty eight nerds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> winning on the road is hard. So anyway, all right, enough from us. Let's uh, let's 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 pray for a Celtic. Uh, a win in Boston. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. Obviously, the Celtics here for the Bucks on uh, the 29th, then again on, in the final game of the season on the 12th. And I think one thing that's fascinating to me is I, I don't think the Bucks would want to to see the Celtics in the playoffs just because I, I feel like that's playing a team too often, like six games in uh, – Four the, the uh, four weeks three weeks like th- that that would be kind of terrifying. So we'll see what the Bucks do against uh, the Celtics. <laughs> well, to- you you also you also wanted to play the Cavs for the longest time, so I don't really trust your judgment. So uh, Frank, the the Cavs are pretty much lost right now, so maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing. So don't shoot it down quite yet. All right. Uh, Uh, that'll be it for us we'll talk to you after the Celtics game we'll see how the Bucks do there in Boston Uh, for Frank Mann this has been Eric Name we'll talk to you tomorrow is that the new iPhone? yeah got it on T-Mobile fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network introducing the amazing iPhone 8 it's the best iPhone yet now on America's best unlimited network for a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.